Hey guys, I'm Danny. And I'm EJ. And this is the Your Living Proof Podcast. Where we talk about addiction and how it affects the family. From the brutal to the beautiful and everything in between. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Your Living Proof Podcast. Hey guys. I'm here with the beautiful blonde woman known as Emily Jane. Episode 68. We're both wearing black today. And I actually feel like it's a reflection of how I feel right now because we saved the daylight, apparently. (laughs) Did we save it? Oh, yeah, we just... We just had daylight savings time where we live. You turn the clocks. What this year? Oh no, this year you turn them forward a year, or forward. No, it's fall back. It's fall back. Oh yeah, you fall back an hour. So basically, I'm feeling the gravity of the situation, which is less sunlight makes EJ a dull girl. Like, yeah, I think it's more the cold. It's both. Like, it's not the time change, so we have more darkness in the day, and also it's getting colder. Like when you're bringing your kids home from school and you're like, look at the sunset. It's, <laughs> it's not good, guys. We, no one needs to feel like this. Hey, we need gr- to vote to change it. We're grateful that you joined us again and that you're part of this journey with us. We do. We genuinely appreciate it. So we're just grateful also that our life has calmed down a little bit. I know everybody goes through ebbs and flows in their life, but ours finally calmed down. Like football ended and then yeah. all it's cheers. Football mom or a cheer mom. Yep. Chair just ended, so our life's now becoming a little bit calmer. Yeah, it does. That does feel nice. We've we have regained sanity. I don't feel like such an Uber driver these days. You know, I'm also having this crazy thing happen. Like I feel like I was a cool kid. Like I feel like I was pretty hip, cool kid. The fact that you just said you were hip is. I know, but my boys are constantly. They're like spotlighting me for. What do they call it? Oh, they say that I don't have any riz. Oh, yeah, zero riz. Z- but what's happening is I'm learning that lingo and jargon just changes. And it does, <laughs> it's it, it's an indicator of your, of your age and your generation. Yes. I'm not mad about the fact that I didn't, like, I don't use the word riz. I know. I think it's cool. I'm fine. But my son did, on the way to school today, I, I let him choose the music and listen. And he turned on... Um, one of Notorious B.I.G. Biggie Smalls, like, most popular songs. He's like, Dad, have you ever heard this? Oh, my gosh. I was like, listen, boy, you don't even know. <laughs> I was like, you don't know who this is, boy. But it is. It's terrible. When you get to that point where your kids, like, start treating you like that lame parent. Yeah, I'm like, you guys, really? They have no idea. They have no idea. Okay, well, let's get into it. Um, this episode, so if you listen to our last episode We planned on getting through a lot more information, and we didn't quite get through it because it was so much. What was it? It was the recovery roadmap. I know what it was. I was just testing you. But if you didn't listen to that episode, listen to it, because truly, I think this is something that everybody struggles with, and that is if you love an addict, you you typically think all I need to do is get them into rehab and then... They will be fixed. And what we're presenting in in last week's episode and this week's episode is the complete opposite of that, which is that is the starting line. And so we're going through that whole journey and what that looks like and what it means, what that type of support looks like for you. Um, So there's lots of different phases. I mean, last time we talked about some of the aspects, which are going to be like residential treatment, which is called RTC. There's detox. There's 
intensive outpatient. There's the segue into aftercare, general outpatient, and kind of what those steps look like is a lot as long with what your role is right. during those times. Right. And it, ma- it makes me mad. Like, why isn't this just known for people out there? Well, it's not. There's so many reasons. We could have an, a whole episode on why these this knowledge and information isn't out there. Right. There's the business side of it. There's the society standards and the collapse of family that is involved. But goodness gracious, we hope to help you yeah. understand what this roadmap looks like. Yes. Right? And, and also, just if you're a new, welcome. We're so glad you're here. This entire podcast is for anyone that loves an addict. So if you happen to have someone in your family or just someone that you love that is struggling with addiction, you just found your people, we are it, and we cover everything that you are going to need to know to make it through this journey. Well, we have a program. It's it's a beautiful process. And let me just tell you, like, real quickly what happens with people in the program is they learn how to more effectively intervene with their loved one. Like, how do we change this situation? Like, How do we get them the help they need? And then regardless of whether or not they, their loved one cooperates, they learn to start understanding the situation for what it is, what their loved one's facing, how it's affected them, and they become healthier. Not only does it like benefit them and their relationship with their spouse and other kids or whatever it is, but they become more effective at helping this person that so badly needs their help, but simultaneously is blaming them for all of this, right? Yes. Beating them up. Yes. And I just want to say... I'm. You have no idea. I'm going going to go off on a little tangent for a second, but um, inside of this program are these different communities of people, and they get to meet weekly on a support call with Danny. And every once in a while, I have the opportunity to hear those calls, and they are they are some of the most powerful uh, gatherings I can imagine there are um, digitally. It's pretty amazing. There's people from all over the country that all come together to discuss like really, really heavy things that they're struggling with and working through. And I don't know, today it just hit me so hard um, that Danny, you know, he's my husband, so I do, I have a deep love for him, but (laughs) he, because of his struggle and what he went through six, over 16 years ago, he is able to facilitate these groups and help these people process through things in a way that is transformative. It, it truly is. And I was listening to a podcast um, like last week and um, this quote was read and it actually reminded me of you. And I actually never told you this. So this oh, wow. is like something this is exciting. Yeah, you're hearing for the first time right here. But it was a Winston Churchill quote. And it is, you are one of the noblest of God's creations. His intent... Oh, nope, this isn't it. Sorry, I'm going to find it. Hold on. It yeah. is... She's just teasing me now. See no, that? No, yep. I'm going to find it. That's the tease. Um, Women are so good at that. It's your they finest really hour. Okay, but that was another really good quote. Um, well, when you find okay, this... No, okay, no, here it is. It is. To each there comes in their lifetime... A special moment when they are figuratively tapped on the shoulder and offered the chance to do a very special thing, unique to them and fitted to their talents. What a tragedy if that moment finds them unprepared or unqualified for that which could have been their finest hour. And that's Winston Churchill. And I just want to say, Danny got tapped on the shoulder 
And what he is doing right now is what he was called to do. And it is more than a special thing. It is a transformational thing. And I got to hear husbands and wives weeping as they worked through some of the hardest things that you possibly can as a parent on this phone call today with Danny. And, you know, there were 13 people, couples on this call, and it was just so powerful. And I just want to say thank you for when you got that tap on the shoulder, even though you weren't ready for it, you went for it. All right, let's stop talking about me. I don't like the compliments. I did when I was little, but thank you. Okay. And and you know what? It's a perfect segue into today's topic because we are going to cover the things that we we rushed through yes. in the last one about the recovery roadmap. But I also want to introduce today's topic, which is understanding the difference between sobriety and recovery. Yes. Okay. Huge. I wrote a few things down because I tend to go off on a tangent. So although, it, although often used interchangeably, getting sober isn't the same as being in recovery. When we think of sobriety, we immediately think of what? Like the abstinence of what? The, the drug. Your poison, right? Yeah. I call it poison. It's the substance that you've been consuming. Recovery, however, is much more than, a, than physical sobriety. It's about the mental and emotional healing. I love that. I will go to my grave screaming that for a person to actually have a chance at getting into recovery, right? The beginning stages are sobriety, counting your days. I'm now weak, clean. I'm 30 days clean. At some point, you have to do that internal spiritual and healing work. But in order for that to happen, for the miracles of that to happen requires what? It's something in my community I talk to people about all the time, and I always say, what? Time. You have got to get them, give them enough time, buy them enough time, whatever you want to call it, for recovery to to begin. Oh, that is huge. And I can say that when you and I got married, you were sober. I was was starting recovery. Yeah, you were starting. Yeah. But like the difference between now and then, oh my gosh. Yeah. It's crazy. It's an ongoing part. So like to clarify a little bit more, sobriety is a critical part of recovery. It's, It's more often focused at the beginning stages of one's recovery. Part of this program is to help educate the greatest resource to these people, which is you. Like how do we help them through this initial phase? What are the things that we do that help corral them that they stay in line to give them enough time to hopefully start to heal. Rehab and a program of recovery, like maybe Alcoholics Anonymous, that maybe many of you heard, it helps people in the beginning stages of their sobriety. And your job is to continue to motivate, encourage, and require your loved one to keep doing the program so that they have time. Time. And you know what? Most of all, that they have enough time to maybe start to love themselves again to have hope that they can do this. That is so, so huge and so difficult to do. So I love that we're talking about this today because as, you know, an outsider, I've never been addicted to anything, but that sounds weird. Oh, baloney. She's addicted to shopping. She's addicted. Well, you know what? That's really true. Yeah. Yeah. To like controlling and manipulating me. Yes. (laughs) Yes. But that's just comes so natural. I don't see that ever ending. Oh. No, I'm just kidding. She hasn't. Mm-hmm. But it's good to see these under, understand these things. And you know what? For someone who's been through the ringer with, with someone in addiction, right, whether it's your child or your spouse, over time they develop, and call them what you will, bad habits, unhealthy habits, or addictions themselves. 
Oh, 100%. Codependency is one of the big ones. Huge. But, you know, the goal is to just stop to see things for what it is and be able to move forward. So the, in the beginning of a program of recovery, you know, these places in sobriety, they kind of, they recognize these lengths of sobriety. So they, if, if your loved one goes, to, goes into sobriety, they, they go to these meetings and they collect these chips, which is like, oh, I've been clean 30 days, 60 days, nine, 90 days, six months. And, you know, the big one is when you get your year chip and they have a party and you have cake and everybody partakes, right? It is, it is a critical part of one's journey. These little baby steps they're taking, recognizing the monumental accomplishment of getting to 30 days, 60 days. And a lot of the world kind of looks at it like, well, pff, you better. Yeah. But let's just come to terms with the fact that there are, and I'm, I have some statistics in a minute. You know what? There, are, Let's actually let's get into these. Yeah. Okay. Why do so many people fail at recovery? Okay. We're going to, I'll go back to what I was just talking about. But I pulled some numbers. If you just go search this now, this is off like, uh, I think the U.S. Health Department. Yeah, so these are site. U.S. only numbers. They're always two years behind. Every time you look up statistics surrounding mental health, whether it's suicide, mental health, depression, anxiety, anything, or addictions, they're always two years behind. I don't know why. 46 million people aged 12 and older meet the criteria for having what is considered an addiction, a substance abuse disorder. 16% of the population. Yeah. That's hefty. They break it out. 30% of those are classified as alcohol, and 25 million of those are people with drug disorder. Here is why those statistics are, are uh, they're baloney. For these statistics to count, and that's a lot of people. Yeah, 16%, 16% of the population. Are known. What does that mean? What does known mean? Well, known must mean they went to the hospital for it. It's been documented. It's been reported. For the hospital or in a police report. Or, or, or maybe like a doctor, I guess. Suicide call or attempt or doctor. It had to have been documented. But where do most addictions, for the majority of the time, where do they reside? In the darkness. And no one knows. So if we're talking about the people with known addictions being almost 20% of the population, can you imagine what the, the situation really is? That's here, here, Here's a mind-blowing thing. In 2021, when they did these reports, again, they're always two years behind at least, 94% of the people who had a substance use disorder did not receive any treatment. Nearly all people with a substance use disorder who did not get treatment at a specific facility didn't think they had a problem. Well, let me break it to you folks. None of them do. Even if you're a homeless heroin addict on the streets and someone comes up to talk to you, you don't have a problem. They're the problem. Oh. The world's a problem. This community's a problem. Society's a problem. Blame. That's, Addiction requires blame to that, survive. That right there is... That's the that's the motive behind all this. I'm tired of that being the case. Yes. And I wish there was one solution that helped everybody, right? But I do know for those people out there who have a family, right? We all we all have our problems, but a family that wants to help, has the means to help, who has a family, right? Like we believe in God. We're good people. We're trying our hardest. Those people have the power to help their loved one, but they don't have the tools. 
Yeah, so that that's what I want to talk about. Like, that's, that's really the point of this episode is talking about that. Why is this subject in particular such a brick wall that families hit? Really educated, bright, well-intended, resourceful families. Yeah, well, we have several episodes on this. It's because we treat it like other things. An addiction is the one and only thing that removes your agency. It is the only fatal illness on the planet where people often argue, disagree, or fail to do something about than any of the others. And the person who's sick will fight you tooth and nail to stay sick, right? They don't have a problem. That is the power of it. That is what happens. That's why it is classified as a disease because over time, your loved one's abuse of whatever it is rewires the way they think and then they're sick. They have a disease in their brain. So there's nothing broken and there's nothing that needs to be fixed, okay? If you think you're going to send them to the greatest facility in the country and fix them, I'm sorry to tell you that that's not how it works. You've got to get them time. For a person, the only difference between someone who gets into recovery and someone who stays stuck in their dysfunction is the willingness to do whatever it takes instead of what they feel like doing. So that's what I really want to talk about, because last week we focused a lot on that front end of recovery where it's like, okay, the the detox, the um, inpatient facility. But I think that like hands down, the most difficult thing is once they get home, (laughs) once your husband gets home from rehab and you're trying to like act like a family again and be normal or once your kid comes home and you're trying to like integrate them back into regular family life. How do you get and keep them motivated and and not drive yourself crazy worrying about everything they're doing when you can't see them? And, you know, all of these things, it's that that is so, so, so hard is I think the brick wall that most people hit like. They just can't figure that portion out. Yeah, and a lot of them have had some success, right? They've done some things. They've they've made an effort to get their loved one help, and then it all falls apart. Right. Again, I'm not claiming that there's a one solution for everybody, but I'll tell you, for all the people that I know I've met that I look up to who are in long-term recovery, they had motivation. They had support. They had people pulling them along the way. For some of them, it was a court order by a judge for a while. But people who loved them learned how to help, how to require, how to motivate without enabling. Well, and they learned that concept right there. Because I think a lot of times people just assume like, okay, like they learned what to do when they were in rehab. Like they should be able to just kind of go on with life. Like we taught them how to be a good person this whole time. They should know better by now. They now now that they don't have the drugs on them, they should be okay. And that's what I think is so interesting about it is how impactful. I mean, everybody says, well, there's nothing I can do. Oh, no, that's not true. Because your mindset, once they get home, will impact the way they move forward. Yeah. Well, and let's just say there are situations that every one of us have been in where you're required to do something. But what do we do instead? We do what we feel like doing, right? Isn't there examples that we all could possibly have of that? I mean, I mean, and that's the, that's the thing that I, I say this to my kids a lot and it is growth looks like work. 
Mm. Like if you want something, that's great. It's it's cool that you found something that you want to be good at or that you want to improve on or or whatever it is. Um, but if you truly want that, your road to that is work. It, it's not thinking about it. It's not talking about it. It's not even writing it down. It's working at it every single day. Growth, it just looks like work. And I heard this. Okay, guys, I turned into a football mom. I'm not a football fan. Uh, well, now I am. Our son had that effect on her. But she hated our, football. our son became like a football rock star, and Danny is the head coach of his team, and I became this total football fanatic now. She still doesn't know half the rules. Though. I don't. I don't know anything, but it's fine. I cheer for the right teams, okay? That's all that matters. And um, I went to BYU, and so I know they're terrible at football, and I don't really care about that. Well, right but, now, they've been great before. But back in the day when Lavelle Edwards was in charge of things, um, he had this awesome quote that I found at, that I was reading this to my boys. And it is, um, it says, Formal, former uh, BYU football coach Lavelle Edwards used to say that in sports, people often talk about the will to win. But even more important than the will to win, he said, is the will to prepare. Many players hope to win or want to win, but it is those that do the work and make the sacrifices to train and practice hour after hour and day after day who do become the winners. And that's easy to say to somebody who's uh, when you're like trying to cheer someone on. But that truly is the mindset that you need to give. It's like a gift you give to that person that you love so much is that mindset. Like, you know what? You can want to be sober, you can want to recover, but if you truly, truly want to make that transition from sobriety to recovery, that looks like work. That looks like every day doing what's required instead of what you feel like doing. That's what it is. It is. I could go off on a tangent because that's that's the difference. And when we go back, to, if we circle back to what the topic is, the difference between recovery and sobriety is is huge. Nowadays, our society standards have collapsed. We talked about this in the last episode a tiny bit, but there's a lot of people who are no longer using meth or fentanyl or no longer consuming alcohol who are now dealing with life rather than going through, like you said, preparing and doing the work. They just found something else to kind of take its place. You can, there's even, there's even facilities that now market themselves who do these extensive ketamine treatments. You, there's, Every vape store on the corner through our country that you can go to now also advertises Kratom, right? Which is this drug that's legal. It's like a, it's from a leaf, right? Like it's from a plant. But what people don't know is if you take two or three times the recommended dose, you just get the similar effects of heroin. Adderall is abused at at high levels. Marijuana medical cards are handed out like candy. So there's a lot of people who claim to be in sobriety that are still using some of these mind-altering substances. Now, I will be the first one to tell you, and I don't want to go too far off on a tangent. MAT, M-A-T, stands for Medical Assisted Treatment, is and always will be part of someone's journey in the beginning. Yes. But we're talking about different things, right? Like anxiety medications, antidepressants, maybe some sleep aid medications to help a person in these beginning stages that are so difficult. But why are so many people deviating off into these things where they're still consuming some sort of chemical solution for a spiritual or emotional wound is because no one's holding them accountable. 
No one. Someone or something has to hold their hand. And you know what? It's not fair. There's too many people that their loved one, a month, two, three months into this, they look at them and guess what? They actually smell like themselves again. They look like themselves. There's a light in, in their eye again. And you think, oh, good. You're back. No, they've just begun this journey, right? They have, they have, they have so much work to do to rewire these unhealthy habits they've had, to rewire the way their brain's been wired because of these poisons. It's going to take time and a lot of work. So you need to put forth the effort with them. And I, I know that a lot of people push back on that and don't think it's fair. And unfortunately, I know that, you know what, we shared those statistics. What was it? 16% of the population? Yeah. It was like 26, or sorry, 46 million people, again, that are known, so that number's hogwash. They don't have anyone to hold them accountable. And that is why the percentage of people who fail is so high. Yes. So I know it's the last thing you want to be doing. I don't care if it's your spouse, your child, how old they are, where you're sitting there going, I'm tired of this. This is ridiculous. Like, they just need to knock it off. You they, can, they just need to keep keep doing this by themselves. Yeah, they'll run out of motivation. That's the truth. They will. I mean, think about anybody who's ever been on a, on a successful weight loss journey. They hire a coach. They have somebody that's keeping them accountable every step of the way because you lose you you lose your motivation halfway through. You want to quit. You want to just do what's more comfortable, what you feel like doing. And that's why it's so, so, such a massive piece of the of the puzzle for those who are trying to recover is the people that are around them. Those people have to know how to motivate them, how to hold them accountable, how to help help them move forward every little step. And you know what? It is frustrating mm-hmm. because you see them and you're like, you know their potential to be at the top of the stairs <laughs> and they're not there. They're they're two steps up and it's frustrating. And then maybe they take one step back and you're like, dang it. But guess what? It's okay. Yeah, and you got to learn how to put your arm around them, but also make them put a little pressure yeah. on there so they can have some yeah. discomfort and they can heal and grow. Exactly. And that's, I mean, and that, that is actually exactly what we, what we teach in our, in our process and our program is how, how to specifically do that, what it looks like. Yeah. You know what the process turns into? It turns into the rudder, like on a boat. These families that we, that, are in our program, they, they're, they're amazing people, but this program's like the rudder. So every time, you know, it, it's steering them in the right way and it keeps them on course. That's what it does yeah. to make the right decisions. Well, and, and if you're in the boat, the, the waves are still rocking you. I mean, it's not, you're not to calm waters yet. And you're not, so, you know, here's so two real cool examples. Like there's a woman in the program. Her husband actually is like, he went to treatment. He's now doing his intensive outpatient and got to the point where he was just done. Like he was exhausted. He's working, he's going to his groups, he's doing all these things. He's kind of getting burned out of it. Natural feeling. Yeah. So instead of feeling threatened or nervous and paralyzed, this woman simply puts her heels in the ground because of all the work she's done, everything she's learned, and just requires that he goes back. It's kind of silly, right? Like a grown man, this big man, and you're just like telling him what he has to do. But when she learned how to effectively do that the right way, what did he do? Disgruntled or not, murmuring or not, he went right, right back, back and kept doing it. And what you're trying to do is buy them time. 
So this is one of the biggest lies about addiction is that they can do this on their own or someone is going to fix the problem. The reality is there's a lot of places out there that are going to help them get a start, that are going to stop the bleeding, they're going to get them stable, but they still need time to heal. You've got to keep them accountable. You've got to learn how to do that. You've got to learn how to do that effectively, not out of fear or threat or any desperation, but how to effectively do that. And guess what? I know it's not fair, but when you do this, you grow and learn so much that so many people in this program, years down the road, guess what they say? How ironic that all my personal growth and everything we've learned to do as a family better, we learned through so-and-so's drug addiction of all things or alcoholism of all things. It's kind of funny that it's this thing, this terrible thing that transforms them. It's almost like because it forces them to start doing all this work, to start learning how to do things differently, to ask for help, to get the tools they need to actually change. It's a powerful process. You want to wrap it up with what you usually do, and I just stare at you? Yes, I'm going to wrap it up with the only thing that we could possibly wrap this up with, which is the serenity prayer for families. And it is, God, grant me the serenity to accept that I cannot change other people, the courage to change the person that I can, and the wisdom to know that it is me. It's you. You cannot get sick enough to help a sick person get better. It is in your thriving that you have the greatest impact and that you give yourself back some of that self-love that you've neglected for a little bit. So thank you guys for joining us. A lot of important topics. Please share these with people that you know who need them. Share them with people close to you and share what you're learning. For sure. And if you are a podcast listener, um, thank you for listening. But also tune into YouTube and watch us. Um, yeah, because Your Living we have, Proof, all one word. Yep, we have a podcast channel now. And so every single one of our episodes, you could actually see us too. And oh, see, but we are both wearing black today. Yes, and but I will say, I used to not watch podcasts on YouTube because I didn't know that you could speed up the time because I always have to listen to podcasts on one and a half, and you can do that on YouTube. <laughs> so anyway, we'll see you guys there. Have an awesome week. Thanks, guys.